Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett, but I'm on the wrong side of the world. On the other side of the world are Stephen English and Gordon Ritchie. Um, they are in Australia, down at Phillip Island for the season opener. They've just been at the test and they are going to be talking you through the developments of the test and what to expect for the race. There's a lot to look forward to. Um, it's all very exciting. We have Scott Redding coming in on the Ducati. Uh, what can he do? It Can he take the fight to uh, Jonathan Ray on the Kawasaki? We have uh, Alvaro Bautista moving across from Ducati to uh, Honda. Uh, can he make the jump to a uh, to the new Honda CBR 1000 RRR? Um, and of course, there's Jonathan Ray. Can Jonathan successfully defend his championship? Um, we have a later in the show. We have a an interview with Jonathan Ray coming up. That's something to look forward to. But before that, here's Steve and Gordo. And uh, Gordo, when you look at Kawasaki, we're going to have an interview with Jonathan Ray at the end of the show. But when you look at Kawasaki, one of the big things for them is that they've got lots of riders that could win races you'd expect johnny's obviously going to win races lowe's new teammate you'd expect him to win races Fares comes back to the championship and whenever he gets his head around kawasaki he could easily win a race it's three strong riders to have on that bike yes i mean we'll see how uh, javi is after he's, he's year away um and obviously the bike he's riding now is something that uh, he only got used to last year but again without the electronics and so on so these are three different bikes and three different years now um, so we'll see how he comes back um, he's done okay but I think he's finding it more difficult than he did when he was riding the big V-twin here which he knew very well he did lots of experience on so I think that's the, the the biggest question mark for him is how quickly he can get used to the bike but Kawasaki is quite an old bike now relative to the other ones we saw last year that the Ducati just had the legs on it almost everywhere um, but it is a, a good package if you find a happy place on it then it seems to be consistent and repeatable um, the person who's obviously toiled about here is that Alex who has not had the happiest time in terms of setting a single lap time but his team and his crew chief are a lot happier with his general performance and his race pace but he did find the bike a bit different here from the ones that he, he, the other tracks he's been to on it already so they have to overcome that for week, the race weekend. But, I mean, we know Alex, he's proven he's won a race and he's been, I think, nine podiums last year. You know, he know, he, he knows how to do it and this could be the year for him. Yeah, and you'd have to say that on the basis of what we saw in Jerez and Portimao and Aragon over the course of the winter, even with the limited running he's had, he's looked pretty good with the bike just here. It seems that it's just a little bit tougher this isn't a track that traditionally suits the Kawasaki as well Johnny's gone well here but you look at Tom's results he struggled here in the past this is about carrying corner speed not usually the calling card of the Kawasaki yes and it's as I say it's, it's not the youngest bike anymore it is well sorted for those that can get it sorted um, it's it, it is, is limited here compared to other places but you never know what wins here and it, you never know, it's not a changed bike. But maybe that's a good thing because they don't have anything new to try and get sorted for here. The balance was off for Jonathan last year here and he, he still managed to uh, ride very well behind, obviously, Batista disappearing. But he was the best of the rest. But he did really didn't, he wasn't happy with his setup last year because he had a new bike that they hadn't tested here. So now he's got exactly the same bike as last year. They know what the problems were last year. So maybe his actual race pace this year might be better than last year or at least more more easily repeated 
than last year. Um, yeah, he's, he's he's always a force round here. He loves the track, but um, it's a case of that great big straight there. It's a fast flowing track here. The other bikes have shown that they can handle that side of things relatively well, and the ultimate performance of the Ducati does seem to be higher if you get the bike set up properly. Very importantly, if you get the bike set up properly, the Ducati's obviously got an engine on it. But well, we'll move on to the Ducatis. As I said, we've got an interview with Jonathan Ray as well at the end of the show, but we'll move on to the Ducatis. You mentioned the engine. It's interesting that here in the two days of testing, it's still Bautista that's the fastest man in the straight by a distance, but uh, Ducati obviously very strong as well. Yes, um, and obviously a lot we we know a lot of last year was the fact that Bautista so small. The Ducati is actually quite a, a, a big frontal area bike, so he just sits in behind it. He's got very low kilos to pull out of every corner. Acceleration, the heavier things are, the slower they accelerate out of a corner. It doesn't matter what vehicle it is. Um, so obviously that's an advantage for him and his small stature and lightweight. Uh, so you've got to take that into consideration uh, for the top speed figures and so on. But uh, that Honda ain't slow. By any stretch of imagination, that bike is not slow. But he is noticeably, in terms of one lap and every other thing, not on the pace of his teammate, who's had a couple of days more on the bike. But he is definitely behind the curve on the development. He's he doesn't he smile in a way like normal, but he does seem to be really understanding we've got a lot of work to do here to be competitive. That said, if he gets away with everybody, it's Philip Island, they're all going slow for half the race to save the tire and then they go. If he's got tire and a fast engine, maybe he can put up with a lack of fuel. What he's complaining of is a lack of fuel and feedback. But if he can get that sorted in the next couple of days before the races, then he might actually I'm not writing him off yet for a, a, any kind of result here. But Leon looks very impressive. He's obviously further along in the development path in that bike. Yeah, the one thing for me whenever you look at Bautista is he has made a step through the course of the two days here. He needs to find another couple of tenths of a second to be able to really get into that battle with the you know, the sixth, seventh, eighth position. But he can do that. The big thing for him is just going to be whether or not he can adapt his style to being able to fight. The one thing for Bautista, we saw it all the way through last year, how much earlier he was breaking than other people so he could get his speed scrubbed off, crack the gas open and earlier in the corner. But you can't really do that in the midfield. You have to be aggressive on the break point. You have to, your terms are dictated to you rather than you being able to be the one that's aggressive. Yes, and the type of bike you're riding, the, the setup around here, everything around here is very flowing. Uh, there's a couple of really hard braking and a couple of slow corners. There's a variety of corners here, but most of it is fast and fast changes of direction. And that's the key. If you can keep your tyres and have a bike that changes direction so that you can attack, defend, you know, th then you're, you're kind of set here. Yeah, and uh, we talked briefly about the Ducati, but what do you expect from Scott Redding this season? A lot of pressure on him. Could be the first man ever to win a British Superbike Championship and then follow it up with a World Superbike Championship. But he's going to find that it's a very different championship here. It's not going to be easy for him. Yeah, I mean, I know former racing's easy, but uh, and I think he did incredibly well last year. Um, but he's bringing that confidence with him. Uh, he's, he's having ridden all those years in MotoGP with electronics. It's Again, it's not something new. It's just something different. Um, and there's a very important difference there between someone that's all new to you and someone that's just a bit different from what you, you've got experience of. Um, pressure on him? 
Yes, I think there's a lot of expectation for people in the UK on him. There's a lot of people here. I mean, we're all delighted to see him. And the way he talks and the way he is and his character is great. He is a super bike rider. He's like the guys were in the original years of this World Championship. Um, and, you know, he's got he's very quotable, all those things. Pressure on him? I think he expects to come here and win. He, won, he, he probably, in his heart of hearts, thinks that he probably can win the World Championship. And on a factory Ducati, any rider of true quality is capable of running a championship campaign all the way to the end if they get the bike set up right and everything else. But he's on a factory Ducati, which last year won the first 11 races in a row. I, I don't see why Scott, if everything works for him, can't win tons of races this year and compete all the way. So I don't think that's pressure. I think he's looking... If it was me, I would be talking myself into, I'm in a great position here. So I wouldn't be feeling the pressure or stress of anybody else because I think he's got all the tools in hand to do it. But he does have to learn World Superbike. And the Pirelli's over a race, in a race situation. Um, some of the tyres here are different from the ones you get in the UK just because they do bring development ones here that eventually get to the UK. The tracks are different, the track temperatures are often different. But these are all things that he should have the experience, especially because he's in the team he is, to be able to handle. I, th I can't wait to see what he can do. And we've been missing that, what you said about speed riders come from outside and make an impact. That's what we want in this championship. That's what this championship has historically done, been able to do. Troy Bayless turns up on a Ansett Freight Suzuki and rides really well. Any number of British wildcards have won at Donington or Brands or wherever. Um, Japanese guys when we used to go to Sugo, Australian guys when we came here. Why not? Okay, he's not a wildcard. He starts as a regular rider, but his first race is going to be his, his first experience of a superbike. And I don't see any reason why you can't win a bucket of races this year. Yeah, I used to always love it whenever like Stevie Hislop broke the Donington track record yeah. on a superbike. He was faster yeah. than the 500 Grand Prix bike. Makoto Tomata came in, won three out of four races at Sugo, turned himself into a MotoGP race winner. And as you said, Gordo, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens with Reading. But when you look at the BMW as well, that's the last the manufacturers for us to talk about. But when you look at BMW, they look like they're also in with a shout of being able to win some races this year. Came close last year on a couple of occasions with Sykes, but you'd expect with Sykes and Laverty that they'll be a lot stronger all the way through the season, a lot more consistent. And I think what was part of the thing that was needed in that team last year was two strong riders. Obviously, Reiterberger struggled a bit. Um, but those two guys will be able to help each other, even if it's the team taking the information from them individually, putting it together and then giving them both something better. Um, and Eugene obviously made a jump uh, after the first day. He made a little step in the way things are going. Tom was really strong and has been strong. That effort started last year almost as a production bike with some racing components in the chassis. Um, this year it's starting as a full race bike. I'm sure there'll be a better engine at the end than they have now. But that whole thing just looks much more ready. Uh, they've strengthened all the weak points. They've, they've got two riders, one of whom's a world champion, one who was nearly. They'll get buckets of race wins between them. And both of them got a lot to prove. And they're not kids anymore. They have to have a good season here to have another two good seasons next then you know, get re-signed for someone for the next couple of years or have a real future well into their 30s. So they've got a lot to prove this year. But I think they're actually in a setup that will let them. Um, relative performance, we've seen the bikes, we'll see once we get into Europe. We'll see where things really are. 
But if they can that find a little level of extra performance and a lot more consistency, they'll be fine. And maybe that's what Eugene will be able to bring. As you can tell, it's pretty much a quick hit show all the way through. There's the five manufacturers covered. But Gordo, when we start here, Phillip Island, when we look to the end of the season in Argentina in October, who's going to win the World Championship? Uh, the person that beats Jonathan Ray will win the World Championship. And if that, uh, that might not happen. No one is as good as Jonathan at getting a season together with his team and with Kawasaki and with the way the bike is and the way they go about the business. Um, and some riders haven't seemed to have learned that lesson over the years. You have to, um, you have to start well, go well in the middle, and go well at the end because you know that that Kawasaki is going to be able to do that with Jonathan at least. So, who's going to win it? The guy that can beat Jonathan. I think there are. Again, it's easy to get excited and overexcited at the start of the stage of the season, but yeah, I think there might be two or three people who could actually beat over the season but you, when you look at everything else I think in the ability for other people to win races and maybe even a lot of races but do they have what it takes to do that for 39 if we get that many races with 37 last year and we get 39 races this year then that's the person that's going to challenge Jonathan for the for the title but there's no reason why somebody can't do what Bastista did last year and not lose that advantage as the season goes on because there are faster bikes out there than the one that Jonathan's on now yeah, Jonathan Ray, obviously on the Kawasaki, the oldest bike on the grid now as well. Yeah. And uh, for Johnny, I, I'd still find it very hard to put a tenner down on the table against him. Yes. But I also think that if I was going to Bookies, I'd find it very hard to put my tenner on Johnny. Yes. You know, so I think that uh, he starts as the man most likely to win the championship. But uh, you could easily see someone managing to spring a surprise and beat him the one thing that's going to be the big challenge is when Johnny has a bad day he's going to finish fourth or fifth when a lot of his rivals have a bad day they could finish eighth or ninth I think that's what's going to be the real telling thing and the reason for that Gordo is I think that we can have 11 winners this year I don't think we will have 11 winners I think a couple of riders are going to miss out but I think we could easily have eight or nine different winners this year how many do you think we're going to have? Oh, I, I hate doing these prediction things because it never quite works out that way um it would have to be weather and so on. When we had all those winners in GP, when they had the first year of the Michelin tyres, part of that was weather and part of that was the lack of data. Everybody got the, a lot of tracks they went to, no one had ridden on in the tyres before. So we had a lot of un, unusual names winning races when they made a change. So we've got the tyres the same as last year. We have got some new bikes and so on. Um, we've certainly got some new faces. But I think if we got through the season with... I can see exactly your point. We maybe could have as many as eight different race winners. There's absolutely, you go through the list and you can't, you can't tell me that Eugene Lavery can't win a race this year, even though he's completely new to the BMW. You can't tell me that Scott Redden won't win a race. You can't tell me that Chaz, even if he seems to be struggling at the moment, as he can be sometimes, isn't going to win two, four, six races this year. Yeah, when you go to Tom Sykes, why not? He's got okay, he's got particular riding style and he needs to have the tyres a certain way to get through the but he's got his tracks that he could do really well and he started so fast here um, at a track that he's never really enjoyed before these are all good signs for having a, a good handful of riders so certainly more than last year I think we could we could if, as long as everything works out right we could easily have more race winners than last year the main thing we want to see I don't care if it's almost the same guy that wins it I just want to see battles 
I want to see action. I want to see people banging into each other and, and taking each other's lines and being together for 20 laps. That's, that's what I want to see. However many races we end up with. And I fight all the way to the championship to the, to the final round. Yeah, it's definitely filled with a lot of combative riders we've seen where Johnny would go through his mother to be able to pick up a win. Top Rack would go through anyone. Van der Mark, Redding's always been aggressive, you know, and then whenever, push comes to shove, you're going to see a lot of other riders willing to step over the mark to make sure that they're able to get themselves through. I think we're set up for a great season. Yeah, and Top Rack, I haven't even, I haven't really thought about that in this conversation, but Top Rack, if he really uh, is happy, look at what he did last year. I mean, for race distance, not just for a couple of laps, he seems to have that ability to, whatever happens as the bike changes, the weight goes down in the tank, the, the grip changes, he just rides as hard um, towards the edge, but you seldom over it. Um, had pure talent, and if he finds the consistency from the Yamaha, then he might be the guy that makes that breakthrough and becomes a genuine championship challenger on another one. Michael van der Mark has been working on nothing but race pace here, which shows that they're thinking the right direction. There's been changes in the crew chiefs and the, in the background there, as well as a new bike. All those little changes might be enough, but. Yeah, I just we could talk all day about the, the possibilities of who's going to who could win races and who could challenge, but that's the magic of racing is that you never really really know until it all starts, and that's why everybody's talking about all the comments from the riders here as well. We'll find it on Sunday. Well, we will, we will, especially something like this. It's such a cookie track where the tires are get worn out easy. It's a yeah, this season's laden with opportunities this year. I still say it every year, but this year looks particularly good to me especially so many people with things to prove. Yeah, it's always interesting that even Evo from Speedweek thinks that this could be an exciting season. And yes, and there's a man who has cynicism for uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Uh, yes, I mean, he's been around a long time, like a lot of us. And uh, and yeah, he even, even he's getting a bit excited about how we can uh, how we can move on, the number of winners, the closeness to the races and so on. It's... This should be, everybody's taking this year more seriously and or are more prepared than they were at the start of last year. And you look at that Honda, even though they're still quite early in it, you, when you, every single aspect of that team from their uniforms to the nuts and bolts on the bike to the speed trap figures is pretty cool. If they get that thing really dialed in, there's, there's no reason why those guys can't be winning races early. Early. Why not? I mean, it's, you wouldn't put money on it. I wouldn't put money on it. But it also wouldn't surprise me if that bike is capable of making the result. I'm sure there was gasps from the people listening there as they heard that a hardened Scotsman wasn't willing to put money down on something. But uh, Gordo, before we go to our interview with Jonathan Ray, a one-word answer from you just to finish off our segment of the show. Who's going to lead the World Championship after this weekend? Now, I'm actually going to immediately break the rules of that by saying I think Vandermark's going to lead after this round. Very possibly, which is hyphenated. <laughs> uh, no, Vandermark, yeah, absolutely, because he's been working on race pace and three good races. Someone has an accident, someone gets pushed wide in the last corner, drops 10 points. Absolutely. If he's as consistent in the races as he's been through these few days, then he'll be fine. There is no reason not to do that. Uh, again, because of his MotoGP experience, Scott Redden knows his way around here. Why wouldn't he be able to be the guy that sits in the gaggle of riders and in the last couple of laps, he's got, if he's got enough tyre left, he could use his engine. There's a long straight here out of a fast 
final corner, that, that might make the difference as well. So who's going to add? I, I don't know. I don't know, and that's the great thing about it. Yeah, I was going to say, that is what's great about this season. So myself and Gordo will leave you from uh, Phillip Island before the start of the World SBK season, and we'll be talking again over the course of the weekend just to get everyone up to date for next week's Paddock Pass podcast. But before we leave, we'll uh, leave everyone with the words of five-time world champion Jonathan Ray. Sat down with him at the Hareth test just to talk through his goals for the season, what he's been able to do to try and make sure he's able to find the improvements that's needed to once again stay at the front of the field. So over to Jonathan Ray to be able to wrap up today's show. Jonathan Ray joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And uh, John, we're going to look forward to this season in World Superbikes. Obviously for you, this is another chance to be able to keep padding the record book. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the plan, just to do the best I can, really. I know, um, you know, from the past, we're a bit better equipped now to know that we can legit come from behind. Last year's season was... was uh, dramatic and climatic at times and then and then all of a sudden we had a huge championship lead at the end which was uh, which is a world away from what we expected at Aston time you know four rounds into the, the year so just um, trying to focus on ourselves really and, and put all the lessons we've learned in the past in our in our armory really and, and let's see. I was talking to Yuri and Arturo and Reba over the winter at different times and the one thing they all said was that last year meant more to them than any other championship. Is the same for you? Yeah, I mean it's super hard as a rider not to say your first one because it's the one you get your monkey off your back and you feel like pretty special when you've won a world championship and you work hard for it. But that was probably the most special to me, but I think the hardest was last year by far. And I think then it's only when you're pushed into the corner you can realise how how strong you are or your real potential because you can shy away from the occasion or you can come out fighting. And I think there's a few times last year where we had to we had to really step up. You know, Donington Wet Race reminds me of one of those moments where you can where you're fighting to regain points in the championship, but you also know that if you have if you, have a, if you have a DNF in a condition like that, you're going to be even further away. It's going to be an even tougher climb, hill to climb. So uh, that race is a pivotal one. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been a few really. Coming from the back of the grid in Perez, this was a, a tough race as well. But so all them moments where you know you have to put everything in to get the maximum out, it's a uh, good lesson. Obviously, for last year, remember we met each other down in Dublin, read the bike shorts, and that would have been two or three uh, yeah. into the year. Uh, yes. And at that stage of the year, I think I even bought you a coffee, did I? No, you were late, so I bought the coffee. Oh, was I? Sorry, Steve, I owe you one. But at that stage, you were already noticing that the Ducati had that big advantage that you were going to be under pressure, and you were earmarking Essen and Imola as the two rounds that you needed to get the good result. We went to, to Aston and obviously Grace East was still there but when both races was the race cancelled and it seemed talking to you after that that it was all starting to build all that momentum and then suddenly for the next two weeks it was all focused on Imola for you to get that first win and try and 
at least all that points. Yeah, we, we had to pick our moments. I mean, I, I got slammed for talking about the speed of the Ducati and in, in the beginning of the year, but you know, it, it had such a speed advantage. Didn't mean it was a better bike, but they had a superior package. I really feel our bike was better in so many other areas. You know, braking stability, changing direction, turning. Um, our mechanical grip was really good, so um, we just had to face that. You know, when there was a big long straight, like in Portimao, pretty clear to see in Thailand was probably the hardest. Phillip Island for me, I was able to turn the page quite quickly because we struggle there. I mean, a lot, most of the conventional bikes struggle there because of um, because of um, you know grip and trying to make it to the end of the race pretty much at the slowest possible speed. So to see him ride off into the distance at 15 plus seconds was, okay, it was hard, but we were, you know, we were twiddling our thumbs, you know, to finish the race. But when it was a legit race and we still got smoked pretty bad, that was tough. And, and Thailand was a bit of a horsepower race, but yeah, Aragon and Assam was, there was a bit of a shift in mentality after that, because we had to stop not feeling sorry for ourselves or pointing fingers at our bike, whatever. It was more about, right, this is a challenge now, let's see this is a real challenge. And Imola was good, you know, Ducati had been there you know, the previous weeks testing. But it was a circuit I know pretty good, and you, there's a few little tricks you can use in Imola to, to make the lap time that I've gained over the experience. So, uh, of course, the wet race in Aston being taken away from us, and then the one in Imola also felt a little bit like mm, that was another opportunity. But just to get your head above water there and win some races was, was nice, because I said it quite a bit. At the end of the year, it was it was a bit like a you know a, you know a boxing match, and we just been throttled for the first four rounds, and then we we run one round five, so that gives you okay, you can make it to the end of this fight if you just keep seizing your opportunity every single round. And obviously for this year, it should be a very different championship as well. Like last year, obviously Batista won a lot of races at the start of the year. You won a lot of races in the second half of the year. But this year, it should be really different. You've got Honda with what looks like full factory effort, new bike, new team, new riders. BMW in their second year, look like they should be able to make another step forward. Obviously, Ducati, Kawasaki, Yamaha has top rack on the bike now as well with Vandermark. So it looks like all those riders should be able to challenge at the front as well this year. Yeah, there's been a legit shuffle, and that's uh, that's cool. I mean, I think the strongest thing we have in our corner is continuity, people around, the experience of doing things you know, from the front of the championship, coming from behind. And um, it's always exciting at this time of year, whether or not people are changing, there's always reason for optimism. And But there's, there is quite a handful of riders up and down pitley and that if things go right and they put a season together they could be champ at the end um, but we got to forget about that focus on ourselves really and um, I mean that's what I've done the last few years and although the excitement now is at 10 after four or five races everybody finds their place and then it's about reacting then you know understanding where you can do and what you can do and, and, and getting your way through to Argentina and then obviously for you some changes in Kawasaki this year new teammate coming in obviously last year Leon came in for one year but uh, you've got Alex in as a teammate now as well this year yeah you know um, I've always been a big fan of Al from Star Sort of Bike in fact we've um, 
I always seen him as the guy to do what I did. You know, when when the opportunity came to join a good bike, he would be right on top. And uh, sometimes it's, it's, it was always hard to say, but from the outside in, I could see the whole package at Yamaha wasn't as complete as what I had in the beginning. And I would always say, mate, listen, don't um, bide your time. You know, you're, you're, you're good and um, things will happen. I mean, now he's into you know, one of the best team in the paddock with you know our bikes, pretty complete package. Uh, of course, he's got lots of good experience as well from Suzuki and Yamaha. So it's, it's been, we haven't really talked so much in depth together as from a technical point of view with our crews together, but he's going to be able to bring so much good info. I mean, some things the Yamaha did really good last year, it turned so good. And uh, it's an area we need to improve. So just having that bit of an input and help from another rider that understands uh, is really good. And as a person away from the track, and he's, he's incredible. We had a running on track in Jerez last year, and he was uh, you know, so, so straight and, and good about things. Uh, you know, I felt terrible when we came together and, and he went down. But um, he's just a um, good person and nice to have around. It's, it's good, to see, like Leon last year, we were very close. We've been good friends and um, it's always nice, especially this time of year when you spend so much time with each other in the off season. It's nice to hang out. So, um, yeah, it's, hopefully we can. I mean, the ideal perfect scenario is to be one, two for Kawasaki and, and everybody's happy. But. Um, it's going to be a tough season, so we just try and work together. And if we can do that and try and improve this bike together, then uh, we should be in good, good state. Talk to Alex about the winter program that he was doing as well with Kawasaki, very different to what he had done in the past. Obviously, you're well used to it now, but you want to just talk listeners through what the physical prep is that Kawasaki do for the testing that you have to do. You go out to FC Barcelona for a day and you basically get run through the mill. Well, I'm not sure how much uh, we like to talk about it, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it's from a motorcycle point of view, I know they're they're sort of the only team uh, because there's a lot of top GP riders come and use the the program we do. Um, and basically, it's just a look into the human aspect of riding the bike because you've got two massive factors when you go and race. You've got a bike and you've got your your rider, human, and. Um, teams are always very good to look after the, the bike and the riders left his own devices pretty much and I mean all riders now are at a really good level from a fitness point of view but they're not surrounded by you know the, the best in physiology or doctors to understand actually the workings of what's going on inside the body so generally we're, we're tested six to seven times a year uh, and that's you know full body checks from eyes Bloods, uh, you know, aerobic output, strength, uh, you know, body scanning, everything. And from from that point of view, it's good when you're healthy to understand where you're at. I got told quite a lot of uh, stuff that I really didn't expect about, you know, overtraining and stress levels, and you know how to, trying to balance uh, emotions and stuff. That was just really was I found interesting at the start. Um, but also if you're injured, there's a huge network of people um, that can help. I mean, I remember I, I hurt my wrist at one time and I was pretty much seen the next day. And 
I could have an operation scheduled or we can wait or whatever. So it's, they're just, I'm so grateful to have that because you feel like they're not just burning all this money in the bike. They're actually really interested in, and trying to help me as well because I've, I've been surrounded by a lot of professionals in the past, like trainers and good physios and people that understand that. But to be tested and have the best in the world doing it for you is, uh, gives you a really good base to know what to be doing through the week and in some instances what not to be doing because uh, it's very easy to burn out with the amount of travel we do so your blood doesn't lie so we don't get away with too much to be honest um, and um, so celebrating has to be kept to a minimum when you say that time, after you won the championship, you were straight out to Ibiza on the stag then. So. Well, that was uh, that was an, that was a big exception. My, it wasn't the championship that done that. My brother was getting married, so that was a that was a pretty fun seventy-two hours or so. Getting back to Belfast to the international airport and seeing all them people waiting for me was was a big sober enough experience after the after the high of winning a championship and then going to Ibiza with you know. 10 lads it was good um, good fun but I think that's the balance you know now and knowing you can't just be robotic it's not like uh, this sport's not like a boxer or uh, you know rising up to one occasion we gotta we gotta put together a season from February to October and be in good shape not just good shape but not be keep your immunity high and um I mean, to be fair though, after the after the Ibiza trip, my my immunity was shot. You know, I was I had um, I was a bit run down through Argentina and Castor, but now the winter time I feel really good again. You talked there about the danger of overtraining as well, and that was something that in the past was an issue for you, where you'd diet too much, you'd train too much, and finding the balancing point was always always quite important over the you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 seasons. But last year, it looked like you were falling back into the trap of that again, focusing in on losing a little bit of weight and changing your training regime. And obviously, when results are going against you, you dig in harder and harder and harder. Yeah, well, I I work flat. To be honest, my training is always at a maximum through December and January and February. You know, always trying to taper off and give yourself good rest. But... After mid-season in the past, I've always not fell off the wagon, but I've not been as um, productive as I should have been, for example. And last year I trained right through. I got a, When I moved back to Northern Ireland, I got myself... Uh, you know, I started working with Johnny Davis. He's the ex-performance um, manager also rugby. And um, he's been great. You know, I've worked a lot on my strength because but trying to keep... To make me leaner, but all, but just strong, so my strength index will be stronger, more efficient. And um, last year, I, I kept consistent right till the end of the year. So I felt like when I hit this off season, I didn't have to bridge a gap from being out of shape and enjoying the off season too much to actually fill a balance. And um, so I'm, I just, I find a balance. I still, it's still quite important because now I'm 32, and it's, it is really important to not just be fit and strong but to look after old injuries that you've had because your body starts not slowing down but um, you know I'm start being aware of my lip, my femur my knees and, um, but yes uh, you got to look after the, your body really yeah you mentioned the femur there obviously that was one of the really bad injuries you had in 2013 13 and 04 yeah 
and it was actually the one in 04 was the one where nearly ended your career yeah pretty much so yeah I, I struggle a little bit with my left hip quite a bit um, but it's it's more so now in the winter when it's cold god knows what I'm going to be like when I'm 50, 60 years old but it's um, it's part and parcel you know the, the scars come with the territory and um, yeah just now I, you know, we've, we're even delving into even deeper stuff with data uh, on the bike from a physiology point of view. And um, it's all cool because it's interesting now. Um, and whilst it's hard to not become obsessed with stuff like that, uh, it's really, really cool that we've got access to all these things. Well, then obviously as well, one of the other things you do quite a bit is motocross now again especially over the winter and you do a fair bit of riding with British Championship guys yeah so it, I, I, yeah riding over the winters it's tough especially back home but we've got this incredible facility um, McGilligan Motor Park up the north up next to Northwest 200 circuit uh, a friend of mine runs it and it's it's like Lommel you know such deep sand and it's a real workout so I got myself a 250 as well as a 450 so I've been enjoying both this off season and um, riding and it's been been good now next next week I moved to to Spain there because it's more of a ritual now than and it's, I could probably do the same back home but with no distractions and living that sort of life right up to the start of the year it's been cool in the past so we've got a good network Martin Barr he's British champ, top British championship rider and old rival of mine back in school when motocross days from home He's going to come with and a few friends. Um, a good pal of mine, Neil Thompson. So we'll be we'll be laughing the trip away, but also it's um, it's about getting down to business. It's always nice to do a few. You know, it's every day on the bike. We try to ride every day, and that's more from a mental point of view than physical. Some days we won't do full motos. It's about hardening hardening your hands up, getting your brain switched on. Because you know, you think we ride at 180 miles per hour, and we're going to make split second decisions motocross is even worse because you see a bit of a kicker and a jump or you, you're coming into that rut you know 40 miles an hour or whatever and you've just been put off with a bump on the way in it's a bit hard to react your body and be there and that comes from years worth of experience but it's also a bit of a double-edged sword because it's very easy to it's very easy to make a mistake you know I opened my finger up two years ago and uh, had to go through Phillip Island with pretty butchered finger but, um, but I think it's part and parcel now what I've done and it's worked and it's, it's so, so much good fun and um, yeah looking forward to that already there's more and more riders and teams that are moving away from using motocross for that training just because of the injury risks is it something that you, you know, couldn't really give up I'd struggle because from a training point of view um, it's hard because I did a bit of dirt track back in the day and I came to Spain and rode a bit with uh, Game, who's also from a, the team manager from a dirt track background. And it's a hard one to argue because dirt track is about losing traction and then riding in the rear wheel. But motorcycle riding is all about you know finding traction on entry, you know keeping the wheels in line, trying to manage the bike in a smooth way. Where motocross is similar, you're always trying to keep the bike as quiet as possible. You, know, you never see um, you never see shapes on a superbike like you do a dirt track bike. And I tried, you know, I tried. I had a brain fart once. I went and bought myself a super stock bike and rode it in Derby. I took it to Germany. I rode it in the UK, and it was kind of like 
this bike is so close to my race bike, it's actually really bad training because it's, it's so similar, but yet so far, the grip levels, how you ride it. Um, Supermoto was the same. I built a Supermoto bike and I, I, I turned up to the next event and I didn't feel great on the bike. Well, motocross is completely different to superbike racing, but it's teaching you the whole brain skills thing. It's it's a very physical sport. I think one of the most physical. And uh, another good example was you know we shot a, a Kawasaki commercial on Tuesday for a 250 bike. The first five laps of my superbike felt mental. I felt like if my team ever want to convince me they've done an engine upgrade, just put me on a 250 for five laps because I um, yeah it felt. I felt like I had like a 260 horsepower superbike for a minute. And then I realized I just come off a 250. So it's, it's what works. I can imagine it's every team manager's worst nightmare. It was a hard call to game to about when, when I opened my finger up. Um, but it was matter of fact. I was in surgery that night and um, they did a little micro off and I was back out. You weren't tempted to lie and say you cut yourself whenever you were making the dinner or something? No, I did. What, what was it? I broke a couple of ribs before Monza one year at Honda. And uh, that was a that was a mountain bike crash that was actually a motocross crash. So, um, yeah, it's one of them. You don't want to lie, but the team's real enough. You know, I post enough motocross stuff on social media. They know that I ride. Um, and it's hard even, I think winter sports are banned in contract. I went skiing this year um, and sent the video to game team. He knew I was going and, and he, he invited me skiing in January, like late January when I come to do the motocross camp. So um, he knows it's one of them. Yes. There's a certain level of trust has been built up over the years. For sure, but also it's, it's consciously in my brain as well, you know, when you're, I know I don't know my limits because motocross can catch you out, and it only takes a guy at the track to be a few tenths a lap faster. Or you know, because I've been competitive in school with motocross, you go and you're riding in. You know, when I was riding with Mark a few years ago, you know, his level in motorbike racing is so high. Uh, he's also a very, very decent motocross rider. So when we're riding together, there's always that hey, I'm gonna chase you down, and he's fast. So then you start finding yourself going faster and faster, and when you get tired, instead of just knocking it back that second on the track, you're you're catching them. So you want to go even more, and then it's like ah, yeah, you can easily eat shit, you know. So it's hard to it's hard to keep that ego in check sometimes. But when I've just got my mates around, it's it's more like, for example, we everybody now all the GP guys and a lot of the bike guys are basing themselves in Spain, and there's a great um, facility at um, Catalonia, uh, run by. Ricky and Ferran Cardus, Rocco's Ranch, and they've got everything there. They've got uh, a little supercross track, they've got a, like a Giro style lap, a motocross track, a dirt track. So, um, you know, one, one year we went there and we would do drills, like just all different kind of drills. Like we'd, um, we'd have to go as fast as we can around the track without using brakes around the chrono track, and it was rotted out the movie. So you're going down this hill. And you know you've got to like steer into these ruts without using your brakes. And it was like just good training. So always just mixing up different things like that. Keeps it fun, really. Well, is it going to be a mixed up year this year, do you think? Um, it's 
potential to be. You know, I think this year more than ever is going to be about consistency because there'll be guys that'll that'll maybe rob you of a race win, but then the next round they could be battling outside the top five. I think that that kind of way. So um, just try and keep our like in the past, keep our bad weekends to a minimum. And when we can score big, make sure and score big. That's always kind of how we attacked the last two years, really. And um, it's not all about winning, really. I learned that. Wait for your moment to arrive. And winter testing has been tough for a lot of teams. We, I've had, we had two dry days and one dry but super windy day in Aragon. And then uh, two dry days in Jerez in November, and that's it. You know, we're hoping for some dry weather in Montmelo, and of course we should see some nice weather in Phillip Island. And but that's really where things get underway, and you understand everybody. And um, but it's also around that can throw up a red herring. So just get through it, bud. See how it goes. And um, it's a long, long year, so it's important to get through these. What's cool is the first three rounds come in quick succession. I think there's only one or two weeks off in between each. So just stay healthy because you can drop a lot of points by by having a mishap or a DNF or being sick, whatever, and um, then build from there. All right. Thanks for joining us, Johnny, and best luck for you. Cheers, man.